Well, we're continuing in this series today uh, called Upside Down. As we've talked about the early church and how that first century church uh, was accused of turning the known world upside down as the sort of underdogs in society and, and kind of powerless people, and yet everywhere they went, things changed Radically, And as we've talked through this in different portions of Acts, we've looked at the qualities of this church, that the, the, the kinds of things that made them a church that would turn the world upside down, that the fact that they were fully devoted to meeting together, both in, in small groups, but also in the large gathering, that they were, they, they were prayer powered, they, they, they prayed boldly and corporately in their prayer together. They were, they were compassionate in their leadership. Leadership was a high value, but, but for the purpose of making sure people got good care. And we, we talked about the international proclamation that, that the gospel left kind of the, the circled wagons of their ethnic group and, and went cross-culturally. And last week we talked about the generosity of discipleship, that, that a follower of Jesus is a generous, giving person. Now, um, we're going to continue as we talk today about sending and going. This wasn't planned that this would be the day uh, that... Uh, we prepare for the, our Miss Philippines team to leave. It just so happened, but it's a, it's a great um, God coincidence in that sense. I'm going to ask you a question. How many here, by show of hands, were you ra- born in the kind of Fresno Clovis Central Valley and raised here? Okay. How many, um, okay, how many were obviously not born here and living somewhere else? How many were born somewhere else and now you're here? Yeah. How many, how many of you got kind of dragged here by your spouse? You met in college or something, you ended up here because of your spouse. Yeah, how many are happy about, no, don't, don't respond to that. Some of you got dragged here by your parents, like my kids, um, in different, different ways. But it's not, it's not unusual to, like, grow up here and then get, I mean, be born over here and, and you grow up over here, get established here. Sometimes you go back and back and forth, that's fine. Um, I, I counsel, I don't do many weddings anymore, but when I was doing weddings and premarital counseling, I'd often, you know, advise a young couple, hey, if you ever get the opportunity for, you know, a job out of town for a while or something that kind of takes you to a place where it's just you guys, that's a, that's a good way to kind of firm up your relationship and, and you can always come back to your, to your home area later, but they usually don't follow that suggestion. I'm used to that. And, um. Well, the something similar was happening in the early church. If the church was born in Jerusalem at Pentecost, the church was really kind of came of age, really grew up in Antioch of Syria. Uh, the, book, the book of Acts and, uh, tells us how Jesus had told his disciples, now you will receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So wait here in Jerusalem, and when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so they waited. And, and in Acts 2, you read the story of how the Holy Spirit came in power. It's called Pentecost. And, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. They were proclaiming uh, the gospel to the people around. Peter preached a sermon. And many people responded. 3,000 people were baptized and added to the church that day. That's the birth of the church. And the church grew there and began to get established and so on. But now what we really see happening is... Uh, really under persecution more than anything, that they're going. And they end up in Antioch. Let's go to that uh, map there we have. So Jerusalem down, down below. And Antioch way up in what was 
than Syria, or today it's actually in the southern, just the southern edge of Turkey today. It was really in, in Antioch that, uh, that they really solidified the crossover from a Jewish only thing to a Jew Gentile thing. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. It was at Antioch that, that, um, they, they, from where Antioch where they first sent out missionaries, which is what we're talking about today. But how did that all happen? Well, like I said, it was really about persecution in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And as they ran for their lives, as these believers were on the run and leaving their, their, their homes and their schools and their businesses and all these different things, and they're going to places where they would be able to settle with other Jews, kind of Jewish enclaves, and they'd be safe in those places. And they didn't say, oh no, how could God let this happen? Why do bad things happen? This is so unfair. They said, we're going to go, but as we go, we're going to keep proclaiming the gospel. We're going to keep telling people about Jesus. And so, as they go, some really still felt like, I think we're only supposed to talk to other Jews. I don't think anybody else would want to know. But others had the courage to, again, cross those ethnic boundaries and begin to share the gospel with Gentiles, including in Antioch. And and as that happened, we, we talked about this last week, um, the church in Jerusalem was like, um, we better make sure this is okay. And so they sent a delegate from Jerusalem up to Antioch, a guy named Barnabas. means son of encouragement. That was his nickname. We actually nicknamed him Captain Positive last week. And um, so Barnabas goes up there. And Bar- Barnabas, in his kind of good troublemaker sort of way, doesn't just investigate. He gets there like, you guys are, this is awesome. Let me encourage you. Let me teach you more. Let me help you kind of flourish in your faith. In fact, let me go over to Tarsus and get my friend Saul, and also called Paul. And he's going to help me. And so together, they spent a year there teaching and discipling and helping them kind of establish their faith and build and grow and really firm up as believers, as the church. So that's why we say in Antioch, the church is really growing up in Antioch. It's really coming of age. And then we get to this place that after spending this year of equipping and teaching... They're going to get sent out for mission work. So if you've got a Bible, I'd like you to find Acts 13. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. I've got the page number there if you're in the red Bible. Why don't we stand together for the reading of God's word. I'm just going to read the first five verses. Acts 13, 1 through 5. We're kind of picking up from uh, um, chapter 11 because chapter 12 kind of tells the story of what's happening back in Jerusalem. And now we're back to... To Antioch. It says, Acts 13, 1 says, Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, so we know about him already, Simeon, called the black man, uh, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of Herod Antipas, and Saul. And one day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. And so Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit, and they went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. And John Mark went with them as their assistant or intern. All right, let's be seated together. I just want to make a comment that from the very beginning... The church was pretty ethnically diverse. If sometimes you feel like, uh, this church doesn't seem all that diverse. The early church was, uh, because, um, Lucius was from North Africa. Uh, uh, we're not sure where, uh, Simeon was, but he was, uh, he was, uh, 
his nickname is, or his, his nickname is that he was dark-skinned, so he would have been probably from Africa somewhere. You've got um, Paul, who's really from Turkey. So you've got this kind of really nice ethnic mix already in the in the church. And uh, they head first to Cyprus, which was Barnabas's home island. So there's going to be some natural connections. He's going to work some of his his family connections, or at least his his cultural skills in going starting with a familiar place and going from there. Now, let me make a little comment about the five names that are listed there. They are listed as the prophets and teachers. They're not necessarily the only prophets and teachers in Antioch. Uh, it's possible, but they are certainly the ones identified by name, and for that reason, probably the recognized or the de facto leaders of the church in Antioch, these five guys. Um, and it says that as, verse 2 says, one day as these men were worshiping, more literally it's as they were worshiping and praying. That word they is not clear. Is it just these five possibly? Or is it the wider church? Maybe. I don't want to spend time kind of splitting hairs and trying to figure out, okay, who was in the room and the Holy Spirit spoke? Well, we do know there was at least these five guys that were there Worshiping the Lord together, fasting, praying, we're told as well. And as they gathered, the Holy Spirit would speak to them. Here's what's kind of the important takeaway as an aside from this, is that the early church was identifying their leaders by their gifting, not by their popularity. It wasn't, hey, who has got the most money? Who's the most popular? Who's been here the longest? Who's who's the most um, persuasive? It was, who's got the gifts for these ministry roles. It's really essential. In your program today, there's a, there's a, a note there from our, um, discernment committee is trying to fulfill some roles in our, leadership roles in our church. And what we want is the people who are gifted for those roles. That's essential according to how it was done in the church. And each of us, you included, and me included, each of us, um, are gifted in some way by the Holy Spirit. And we need to be ready, and especially leaders need to be ready, to teach and to share their spiritual and prophetic gifts with the church. It's how God's going to speak and lead his church. All those gifts are still at work, right? But it's up to us to decide whether or not we're going to allow them to function. Now, you might say, I don't really know my gift. Look, we've talked about this before. There's ways that you can discover that. Uh, you can do something as simple as spiritualgiftstest.com. Begin to understand, like, okay, who am I? How am I wired? What is What are the gifts that God's given to me? And how do I discover those and then begin to put them into practice? Because we're not all gifted the same. We're not all teachers or all prophets or all evangelists or all given the gift of wisdom or all given the gift of administration or all given the gift of mercy. We're not all the same. And therefore, we don't all have the same task, even though we're all called to the mission of the, of, of the church. It's a bit like, um, you know, the Marvel universe. Okay? Each one has a variety, has their own giftings. And they all have their own task. And don't get upset or offended because they're not real. Okay? These aren't real things. Not real people. These are characters in, in books and movies. But the idea being that they work as a team most of the time. I'm not really a superheroes guy. And, and I think I, I know why. It's because I've reached that age where I can't really watch a superheroes movie without looking at all the damage and destruction thinking, those insurance premiums are going through the roof. These guys are now uninsurable. I mean, anyway, I, that's, I, I have a hard time separating my, my, my sort of pragmatic thing about that. But my, my, I think my son's mostly like that stuff. Um, 
All right. So different characters, different gifts, right? But working together. That's the church as well. And right now you might think, well, I don't really have a place to use my gifts. I don't really know what my gifts are. I don't really know where that would fit. And I'm just too busy anyway. So, you know, just don't bother me with this stuff. And I'm just telling you, the Holy Spirit has gifted you. Each and every believer has a gift. And, and you need to put that work to, to put that gift to work for the kingdom. Whether it's when we gather or when we scatter. Some of you are, are, are gifted with a gift of, uh, of encouragement and you're here and you're a super encourager. Or maybe it's in the classroom. You're just like Captain Positive in the classroom and you're helping people along or maybe your gift is, is, um, hospitality and, and you love being involved in the, the kitchen ministry here and, or maybe, Maybe just the way you function in the workplace is everybody knows that your desk is just a hospitable place. People can stop by and just hear a comforting word or they come by your desk and they get a Snickers bar every time they're there because you just practice the gift of hospitality. That's how it is. However you're gifted, it doesn't have to just be here. It's wherever the church is, gathered or scattered. Teachers need to teach. Administrators need to administer. Evangelists need to evangelize. Prophets need to prophesy. Encouragers need to encourage and so on. I, I'd say this. If you're taking notes today and you're following in your outline, it's this. All are gifted, but we don't all have the same special work as is put in the New Living Translation for these guys. All are gifted, but we don't all have the same special work. And that's good. That's good. A variety of gifts and a variety of functions and a variety of assignments is good. It's good for the church. But we're all needed. We're all needed. And we're all to be actively engaged in God's work. So, you know, we're all called to the same things. We're all called to the great commandment, which is to love God with all our heart, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're all called to the great commission, which is to go into all the world and make disciples of all people, teaching them and baptizing them. That's what we're all called to. But how you fulfill that, your little piece of that, is not the same necessarily as the person sitting beside you. And that's good. That's okay. If we we're all the same, we, we wouldn't get anything done. Or we'd get one thing done, but nothing or everything else. It's got to all come together. So I may not be an evangelist, but I can still evangelize. Right? I may not have the gift of mercy, but I can still be merciful. I, I, I may not have the gift of wisdom, but I can still live wisely or seek out wise counsel as I go. This event... And Antioch illustrates this really well because while we're all called to go make disciples of all nations, right? Not everyone gets to pack up their suitcase and go. There's five guys that were praying, at least five that were seeking the Lord together. And only two of them got sent out along with John Mark as an assistant. What about the other three? Maybe the other three are like, man, I'd love to do that. Not this time. You're called to send. Some are called to send, and some are called to go. But both are needed. And you might be somebody who says, well, I don't, I don't ever want to go. The Lord might call you to go. Some of you are saying, I really want to go. And the Lord is saying, I need you to stay. So that's why we need the Lord to speak these things. We need God to give the direction on these things. But I would say this. What if God were calling you to go? What if God was sending you out for a task? Well, what if... What if even it was something like God's calling you to, to lead and host a, a connection group? Or what if Bethany were to plant a church and, and we need to send people out? Or what if we were to send more teams and more workers to the Philippines? 
How would you know if you were called to be part of one of those projects? How would you discern that? How would you come to that conclusion? Yes, it's me. I need to go. Well, for these leaders in Acts 13, we say we see that God spoke to them in the context of worship and fasting. While they were together seeking God, that's where God spoke. So if you're taking notes today, you can write the second one down. The worship helps us hear. Worship helps us hear God. Um, now, of course, God speaks in a variety of ways. He speaks through prophets and teachers. He speaks through what I would call minority voices. That time your your friend or your child or something on TV just like, I think God just spoke to me through that most unexpected way, right? I I, I shared this morning in, in, uh, in the 930 service, uh, one of the most profound moments that Becky and I, we knew God spoke to us. We were sitting in the back of a 19... Not, not alone. We were sitting in the back of a 1996 um, Dodge Caravan, and we someone else was driving, and we we were being asked to consider a ministry opportunity. And we just looked at each other, and in that moment, we just knew God had spoken. Nothing was said. No, like clouds or writing in the sky or it. Don't worry. They're not. They're not leaving because they're offended. They're helping with the lunch. So don't worry about it. Okay. And it was in that moment, like, God spoke. Well, how do you, how do you know that? How do you, well, it's, you just know. You just know in that. We could talk about other times, I'm sure you could too, when you've heard God speak. But worship is what, part of what helps you hear. And this time, God was not only speaking through the prophets and teachers, but he was speaking to the prophets and teachers by the Holy Spirit. How did they know the Holy Spirit worked? I don't know. Was it an audible voice? Maybe. Probably not. Was it an inner sense of, Hey, you guys, I think the Lord's really calling me to go. I think I need to go. Maybe. Was it Saul, Barnabas? I just think the Lord's telling, saying, you guys need to, you guys need to be sent out for work. I, I don't know, but we know that it was the, they could identify the Holy Spirit is speaking right now. And when we gather and we sing together our corporate worship, it's not tradition simply. It's not just kind of a nice idea for those who are sort of into that sort of thing. Uh, it's, it's an opportunity for God to speak to us. So when you gather on a Sunday morning, we want to come with an expectation that God's going to speak. I've got, just want to point out a couple of local opportunities for worship. One is there's a, an event coming to Fresno called Outcry. And um, it's combining Bethel worship and Mosaic Church and Bethel, I mean, uh, Elevation Worship and Vertical Church. And they are bringing their worship teams. They're kind of on this tour together as worship teams. I think it's just the most fantastic thing that kind of this wide stream of, of, of you know, these different streams are all coming together to help us worship the Lord. You're going to fill up the Save Mart Center. If you can go, it's a great event, April 7th in the evening. Be outstanding. It'll be an outstanding evening. And I would encourage you to go and be ready for God to speak to you through that. Now, maybe you're somebody's going to say, not really my style of music, not my deal. And on the same night, there's another event. And I'm not, I'm not joking when I say this. There's another event that's called the Men, Men's West Coast Mennonite Men's Chorus. There we go. And some of our guys are in that choir. And for others, you're going to go to that choir and you're thinking, like, man, I just felt like I was in heaven. I mean, I just was worshiping the Lord. That's great. That's great. I'm not saying one's better than the other. They're different. And, but, you could actually go to the outcry on the 7th, and you could go to these guys on the 8th in Reedley. So you could do both if you wanted to, except for the guys that are in the choir. You can't. Um, all that to say, 
Get to those places where you can worship and let God speak to you and work on your heart. Because when we're engaged intentionally in worship, right, through prayer, fasting, other things, that can lead us to greater faith, greater submission to God, greater um, joy, better ability to hear God. And I, I created a little acrostic just to help us with this. Of here, if worship helps me here, here's four things. First is corporate worship uh, accomplishes humility in my life. When I come to that place of worshiping God, it recalibrates my life. It brings back into alignment my life according to God's priorities. This that submitting to God, it's putting my own life and my own issues under God's care and under God's protection. It's there, there's, it's part of why even physical response is important in worship. It's part of why the, the Bible says you can kneel, you can stand, you can raise your hands, you can clap, you can shout, you can sing, you can play an instrument, you can make a joyful noise. There's some very physical elements in worship that you're invited to because it's part of that humility. It's part of humbling myself. This, this kind of the sense of King David saying, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'll become even more undignified. If it can just help me worship God. I don't care how it looks to other people. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to worship God. And that's that humility piece. Second thing is that that worship accomplishes this exaltation. Lifting God up. Elevating God in my life. Reestablishing God as supreme over all things. Right? When we sang this morning that line in that last song. You are perfect in all your ways. Do you know when 930 service, I, I was just singing, I was praying, look, God, sometimes I don't feel like you're perfect. God, I feel like there's lots of imperfect in this world. And yet it's true that you're perfect in all your ways. I'm reestablishing. God, I'm re-exalting you as the one who is perfect in all your ways. I'm lifting you back up, even though sometimes I don't feel it. But I know it's true. And so what I'm doing is I'm exalting. That's part of what that corporate worship is, is doing. That fact that you're singing it with me, that we're engaging with it together, is actively helping my heart go, yes, God! I'm lifting you up. I'm humbling myself before you. I'm lifting you up. And the third thing that worship can accomplish is an availability. It's God, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm available for you to do. God, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to do things your way. That's part of what worship is doing in my life as I as I get there, right? I, God, I'm, I'm ready for you to use me, to send me, do whatever as you see fit. And then there's response. The third one is the fourth one is a response. Worship helps me repent. It helps me say, yes, God. I, I, I shared this with a 930 uh, group. The, the prophet Isaiah, he's, uh, he has this vision. He has a vision before God. And he says, in the king, your king Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. And he was, he was sitting on his throne and, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And attending him were mighty seraphim and they each had six wings and he explains how that goes and they were, they were calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Now I know this is just a vision that he's having, but just imagine that. Imagine that there's such a presence of God that the place is rumbling and, and there's smoke fills the place. Would you not be just a little bit terrified? And it would be loud. I guarantee it would be loud. And, and, and we would just be in awe. And if that's happening, he realizes, I, it's all over. I am doomed. For I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips. And I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. It's just a vision. And even in his vision, he realizes, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm a sinner. 
And it tells the story that an angel picks up a hot coal from the, from the, from the altar and put, touches his lips and says, now you're purified, now you're clean, your sins have been forgiven, you're ready. And then he hears God say, uh, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, me! I'm here, send me, Lord! I want to go! God says, go, good, go to this people. And then he explains how hard it's going to be and all that. But you, you need to understand that worship helps me get to that place of response because I'm beginning to see God in his goodness, God in his glory, God in his perfection. It's not always how we see it, is it? You know what I did this last two weeks ago? I paid my taxes. Yep. I don't mind paying my taxes. I'm glad for all the things it does. I pay a lot less taxes here than where we used to live. It's a much heavier tax place, so it's not bad. I don't complain about it. But I pay my taxes not because it's good, but because it's an obligation. If it was voluntary, I probably wouldn't pay my taxes. Right? It's an obligation, and so I do it. And some of you feel like going to church, singing and worship, it's kind of your God tax. You know, it's kind of what I got to do to kind of staying with God and I don't want to get in trouble and God's version of whatever the IRS is for God, you know. So I was paying my God taxes. I'm telling you, that's a completely wrong way of looking at it. It's, this is not an obligation because when you treat it as an obligation, there's no joy in it. There's no satisfaction. You're not going to hear God speak. It's not enriching in any way to your life, right? You You miss out on the intimacy then of of really putting yourself in a place of humility, exaltation, availability, and response where you can hear God speak to you. Where you can be reminded, today I need to repent. Or today I just needed to be reminded that God loves me. Or today I, I, I just needed to t- tell God He's great or whatever it is. And sometimes, sometimes in that moment of worship, God's going to speak a clear vision of, here's what I want you to do. Here's where I want you to go. Here's who I want you to talk to. Here's what I want you to give. Here's whatever in those moments. And that's why we cannot, we cannot let ourselves be casual and careless in worship. We, we've got to stop having this sort of like, yeah, whatever attitude. We, when we, whether we're sitting together or we're fasting together in the month of January, we ought to come with expectation that God is going to speak. God is going to move in his people. God is going to send us out. He's going to equip us. And that's why we bring our best. We bring our best because we worship the King of Kings. We worship the Lord of Lords, the creator of all. The, 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 the Lord of Heaven's armies, that's who we worship, and so we bring our best. And for the church in Antioch, they, they not only brought their best worship, but they, the Holy Spirit, get this, the Holy Spirit was asking for their best leaders. He didn't say, you know, Barnabas and Paul, they've been doing a great job, they're giving excellent leadership, I can't really afford to let them go. <coughs> they need to stay. And so, send out some rookies, they'll figure it out. You know, it's just those foreign people anyway. No! Look, you're going to reach people that don't know the gospel who, who aren't already on the inside. So send your best to them. The other guys, new people will rise up. Don't worry about it. God says, I'll fill in the gaps. Send your best. Send your top leaders. The ones who know what they're doing, send those ones. And that's what they do. Holy Spirit says in Acts 13.2, The Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. Send your best. Send your best leaders. And not only do we bring our best in worship, when we send people out for 
ministry, we send our best. When we give to missions, we give our best. When we serve one another, we do, we do our best because everything that we do for God, we give our best. We give our best. Right? It's one reason why we gather today on Sunday, the first and best day of the week. Because you start your week off with Jesus. It's one of the reasons why when we tithe, we give, we tithe our first and our best portion of what we earn. It's why I, I like having a devotional time in the morning because it's the best part of my day. If you're a night owl, maybe 9 p.m. is your best time. Go for it. That's fine. Give your best. It's why our ministry investments ought to be toward primarily, our primary ministry investments toward children and youth because they're the best of what God's given to us. At the lunch today, give your best for this very reason. Because we're investing in the best of what God's given us. And the, and the top leaders leaving Antioch, leaving that church, what would happen? Well, God would fill in the gaps. God would raise up other people. Just like it's happened to you probably in your workplace. Someone left suddenly and suddenly you've got all this responsibility. And guess what? You did just fine. New people rise up. Some, someone calls in sick and you've got to cover for them. And, oh, God helps you do it. It's okay. Right? It, it, it wasn't until the need was there, though, that you stepped up. Or it's one of the reasons why we, we want to give young people the opportunity to serve and, and, and lead and be involved in, in the life of the church. In a couple of weeks, it's Youth Sunday, March 11th. The youth team is going to lead worship. Janice, you're going to preach. Kids are going to be at the door welcoming you. We're going to have a variety of things because we're saying, it's not just like a token, like, oh, isn't it so cute that our kids are... No! These are the best of what God's given to us, and we're developing and raising with leaders. And some of the, sometimes the competent leaders, sorry, I got it. Sometimes those of us who are already competent and gifted and know what we're doing have to step aside so someone can step in and kind of figure it out and, and make some mistakes. And it's not, it, it, maybe as good as you were used to, but it's good. It's good for the church, and we do that. We're not seeking perfection, we're seeking excellence. Your effort may not be the best, but is it your best? Right? Even if it's not perfect, we're learning. The point is that good enough is not good enough. We want to do things well. We want to do things with excellence. We want to do things with preparation, with our best effort. And some of you know that I'm a broken record on, on some of this stuff, even on the physical side, about keeping up for our facilities. And, 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 and you know, we're talking about replacing our sound system and fixing our lights and making our classrooms contemporary and attractive and serving good coffee. Why do we serve good coffee? Is it because I know you want good coffee? No, because when you bring a friend to church, I want them to walk in and say, man, this doesn't even taste like church coffee. This tastes like actual coffee. Yes, because we bring our best. Because this isn't for you and it's not for me. Our gathering is not for us. The church is not for us. This is for the, the mission that God's called us to, to reach those who don't know Jesus, those who don't know the gospel. And so that's why we bring our best. And we do things that are aside from our own way of doing things. And we give up our preferences. And we give up our best seats. And we put up the good coffee. And we make a nice restrooms. And we put up good sound. And we, we make it excellent because we want to preach the gospel of an excellent God. Why would we go halfway? We're, we have the best news there is. And we're like, oh, it's good enough. No! It's not good enough until it's at our excellent best. Our excellent best. Not perfection, but excellence. Bringing our best. It's why the sod squad is here. Did you notice this morning you drove up? The lawn looked great, didn't it? The trees are pruned. I bet you didn't even see any weeds in the flower beds. You know why? There's a bunch that come every Saturday morning, and they take care of all that stuff. They volunteer their time. That sod squad, and they make it great. Wow. We sing great music. Oh, in two weeks, no, next week, we got, you can bring your stuff for the new MCC thrift store. Do you know that? 
Don't bring any junk for Jesus. Leave that at home and put it in your own trash. Bring good stuff. Bring good stuff. The point is that, you know, one reason the early church was turning the world upside down is they gave God their best. Their best offerings, their best people, right? Their best efforts. You can do that too. Well, Acts 13 is a powerful moment in the church. The believers are, are, are leaving. They're moving out. They're moving forward with intention, with purpose. They're going places. They're bringing the gospel. They're sent out by the Holy Spirit. And in these next six days, from now to next week, you're on a mission. And you're being sent out by the Holy Spirit. And, and God's leading you. And I'm just telling you, make sure you're listening. You're in worship so you can hear what God's going to say. Give Him your best. Use your gifts. Move into the calling that He has for you. And then report back what God's doing. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that you have preserved this episode, this account in your word for us. Lord, we're... I would love to have been there. I'd love to know what that sounded like or looked like when you spoke and said, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. But I thank you that you did that. Because of their obedience, we've got the gospel today. Lord, I pray for any person in this room today who does not know Jesus personally as their Lord and Savior. Anybody who cannot say with conviction that God is my good Father. Lord, I pray today that you lift the blinders and allow them to see that, Jesus, you are the Savior. You died for our sin. You rose again. And we can put our faith in you for salvation. Lord, let that be real.